Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Antonio Neves. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of The Best Thing. Before we dig into this fantastic episode with Damon West, I want to remind you, if you haven't already subscribed to The Best Thing, make sure you hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now. And also, in this unique time when so many people are worried about their jobs, there are people who have lost jobs, and there are others who are just right now are questioning so much when it comes to their career. If this sounds like you, I want you to head over to theantonionevs.com. And when you see a page, it's going to pop up. I want you to sign up to receive my three free career reports. So again, if you're in a funk when it comes to your career and what to do when all this is over, if you've lost a job, if you're worried about losing your job, these three free reports are going to be very helpful for you. So once again, head over to theantonionevs.com and sign up. And hey, let's get to the best thing. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey everyone, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach, and each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I heard about from a previous guest on our podcast, author and speaker John Gordon, and immediately I knew I had to talk to him. Now, Damon West is a motivational speaker and best-selling author. His books include The Coffee Bean, A Simple Lesson to Create Positive Change. That's a book he co-wrote with John Gordon. And he's also the author of his autobiography that's called The Change Agent, How a Former College QB Sentenced to Life in Prison Transform His World. Now, again, Damon was once sentenced to 65 years in a Texas prison, but today Damon lives a life of recovery and service, and he shares his powerful story all over the country. His audiences have included dozens of college football teams like Clemson University, Alabama, University of Georgia, and Texas, along with countless schools, churches, and businesses. I'm so glad to have him on the podcast. Damon West, welcome to The Best Thing. Antonio, dude, thanks for having me. This is this is such a treat. I follow you on social media, and I have followed you longer than you knew about me. I love your stuff, man. I'm honored to be here today. Hey, man, I'm so excited you're here. I've been following you for a while as well. And let's just dig in right there on social media, because when I look at your messages, particularly those you share on, on Instagram, there are three things that really pop for me, regardless of what you're talking about. Even those ones where I'm kind of uh, intimidated because you're running with your shirt off, showing those nice triceps and <laughs> deltoids. Is one thing I always see is one, I see joy in your eyes, Damon. Uh, something else I see is just strong inspiration that you're giving to that person that's watching that video. But the third thing I see, man, that really stands out when you're talking to that person, whoever's watching, is the strong message of accountability. Would you would you say that that's accurate? No, absolutely. We'll start backwards on that with accountability. I, I'm an addict, Antonio. I'm in a, a long-term program of recovery. I, I'm in recovery the rest of my life. I have a 12-step recovery program. And 
the foundation that you build a, a recovery program on, uh, the, the cornerstone, if you will, is accountability. Account- and it's self-accountability because I, I have to hold myself accountable for the things I do every single day. And it's part of the program of recovery because if you're not accountable, then you're not in recovery. And a guy like me has to be in recovery because if I'm not, I'll slide back into that lifestyle that I once lived that brought me to a place that, man, I don't want to go back there again. A, a place that gave me a ton of perspective in life. You know, Antonio, we're going to talk about this, but I know what a bad day looks like. And ever since November 16, 2015, I haven't seen a bad day yet. That is including what's going on right now with the coronavirus and how we're all locked down right now. Man, I know what a bad day looks like, Antonio. And I haven't seen one yet because I know that I control four things. And I'm not letting anybody have control of what I think, what I say, what I feel, and what I do. And if I, as long as I take control of that and keep control of that, then I have a life of serenity and peace, bro. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you talk to so many top organizations across the country, so many top programs, professional programs, uh, professional sports teams, college sports teams, et cetera. How much do you see when you go into these places that one of the biggest challenges they face are people on their team being willing to take accountability for their experience? I think you see a lot of lack of accountability right now. Um, you don't want to be like one of those people that says, well, my generation did it different because I mean, every generation says that about the next generation, right? Well, we did it differently. And that's cool. I think every generation doing things differently is, is called evolution. We're evolving in different ways. You know, society is different than it was 20, 30 years ago when you and I grew up. But the accountability aspect, I, I think that, you know, you go into a lot of these programs that have uh, these, you know, high end programs and even in sports teams and stuff like that. And a lot of these players, live in, in a bubble of sorts in some ways. And what you want to do is you want to make sure, and, and the great coaches do this. The great coaches bring in speakers like you and speakers like myself and John Gordon and Inky and Eric Thomas and all these guys to be sure to give them these life lessons, you know, because they're there for four years or five years. They're not just there to play ball, man. You're there to be, make them a better husband one day, a better, a better wife, a better mother, a better father, a better, a better servant leader, right? And servant leadership is something I talk about with these athletes all the time, because servant leadership is everything is wrapped up in servant leadership because servant leadership, it, it's about humility. And humility was explained to me one time when I was in, in prison and getting into recovery. Humility is being right sized. It's knowing your place in the world. And when you are right sized, you're able to go out there and impact society in exactly the right way you're, you're supposed to, right? You're, you're going to have the effect you're supposed to have. But it's getting people to be right size. And, and, and I think when you can get people to be humble, then you can get people to be accountable, too, because humility and accountability, they go together hand in hand in glove. Tell me, what would you say it is before we get into this question about the best thing to happen to you? I'm really curious about you. And one thing I've noticed, Damon, about your followers, specifically on social media, is that these men and women come from all walks of life. Yes, there are folks in professional sports teams. Yes, there are folks in corporate America. You name it. But these men and women come from everywhere. What would you say it is about you that allows you to connect to such a broad audience? A couple of things. The first thing I would say is vulnerability. Vulnerability is a strength, Antonio. And, 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 and a lot of people have this misconception that if you're vulnerable, you're weak. No. Vulnerability allows you to be accessible to other people, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. People want to be able to connect with you on several levels. One of the coaches I've learned a lot about vulnerability from is Dabo Sweeney. Dabo is an extremely vulnerable guy. I've seen Dabo talk in front of his team and get emotional one time. 
And when I saw Dabo doing that and all the players in the room, this is right after I got done speaking. You know how it is. You go speak to a team. And after you get done speaking, you know, you come up and all the guys are coming up and dapping you up and, and everybody's giving you a hug, great speech, you know. But what I saw happening when Dabo took over the room afterwards, he was talking about something very personal. He started tearing up and crying. As I watched and all the eyes in that room locked on to Dabo, every player in that room was focused laser-like on their coach, man, their dad. They love Dabo, man. Dabo has gotten so close to them, and he's got this extreme moment of vulnerability. And when he broke that meeting, every man in that room jumped up and went over there and hugged Dabo. I mean, it was like electric. It was like none of them even said anything to me. They passed me up on the way to Dabo to give Dabo a hug and make sure dad is okay, man. They love Dabo. But that's a connection he has through vulnerability. And so vulnerability, I think, is one of the the things that I think – about my story and about me and the way I, I try to carry myself is that people see a guy that's, that's honest, he's humble, he's vulnerable, and they like to connect with that. That's a refreshing thing for a lot of people. Second of all is that I'm a very flawed person, Antonio. I have a ton of baggage and a ton of flaws, but I'm also a very driven person. And I, I don't, I will not allow anything to set me back in life. As we're going to hear from the story today, man, I've got tons of excuses if I want them of why I couldn't, you know, go on with life and and go out and do things and help other people and and be a public person. There's a ton of excuses I have, but I won't do that. I won't settle for that. We are, as Americans, we love the redemption story. We love the underdog. We are the ultimate underdogs. We got our, I mean, trace it back to the beginning of the country. We beat the British twice, man. These are, this is the biggest army in the world, man. And we're not supposed to beat these guys, but we do it not once, but twice. So it's in our DNA to love the underdog. We love a redemption story. And that's what mine is about. This guy that gets his butt kicked for 12 rounds in the fight and gets up at the very end and bam, drops a knockout punch on the guy. We love the Rocky type of story. And that's a lot of what my story is, man. And it's something that, you know, it's never about me. man. I always try to make it, make sure people understand, man, this is, this is God's show, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm along for the ride, man. All I did was assume the role he gave me and, and go out there and serve I say a prayer every day, Antonio. It's the same prayer I learned when I got into recovery and back in prison years ago, man. It's the same prayer I say every morning and start my day with, and I pray for nothing else. I say, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you, and let me recognize it when I see it. And I don't ask for anything else, and I don't get holy roller on people. I don't put it in anybody's face, but that's my relationship with God, man. All I'm looking for every day is ways that I can serve because I have to trust that if I'm doing all those things the way I'm supposed to, it would, and I pick up what's put in front of me, then my needs will be met, Antonio. Maybe not my wants, but my needs. I like that distinction right there between needs and wants. And just sharing those key things, man, about the vulnerability, uh, the willingness to be flawed yet driven and ensuring that it's not about me. And that's true leadership right there. And probably why those young men gathered around Clemson's head coach, Dabo Sweeney, and that 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 situation you just beautifully described. So let's transition. Let's, let's get into this question. Um, what would you say is one of the best things that ever happened to you, Damon? That's not one of those traditional markers of success. People talk about the best thing and they say getting married, having kids, graduating from college, buying a home. But what's one of those things that would rarely show up on your resume? Well, because I know my wife's going to listen to this. I'm glad you took off the table getting married and having a family, man. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But no, the best thing that ever happened. So, you know, when you hit me up last week about this, and I had to I sit, sit there and think, and I actually talked to my wife about it. The answer became obvious to me that the best thing that ever happened to me was something that, yeah, you're, you wouldn't see this in a resume. You wouldn't even think you would hear someone say this. 
The best thing that ever happened to me happened on May 18th, 2009. It was, it's actually the first chapter of my book, The Change Agent. And the chapter is called Rock Bottom. The best thing that ever happened to me on May 18th, 2009, I finally hit rock bottom. And rock bottom, we talk about addiction and recovery. Rock bottom is that place where you get to as an addict when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's the bottom. It's when you look up, you look up and there's nothing to see but sky because you've hit the ground, man. You're down at the bottom. But rock bottom isn't just a place you get to when you're desperate and you're done. It's also a great place with which to build a foundation for a new life. May 18th, 2009, I'm standing in front of a jury in Dallas County, Texas, and this jury has just listened to six days of overwhelming evidence of my guilt. Six days is a long criminal trial, Antonio, and that's where I am right now on May 18th, 2009. I'm standing in front of a jury facing a charge of engaging organized criminal activity. I'm the mastermind, the ringleader of an organized crime ring that has been breaking into people's homes for three years in Dallas to feed our insatiable meth habits. And this jury just listened to six days of so much overwhelming evidence of my guilt that when they went into the jury room to deliberate on my sentence, they came back in 10 minutes, Antonio. 10 minutes, brother. I don't know, I don't know how much law and order you watch or how many court, courtroom shows you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. And when I came back into that courtroom, Antonio, that judge, that cantankerous old judge that hadn't smiled the entire trial, he is grinning from ear to ear. And he says, Damon Joseph West. You are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. 65 years, Antonio. I got a life sentence on May 18th, 2009 for the crimes that I committed. And I was guilty as charged, man. I own all that stuff, man. But a jury in Dallas County said, hey, you are not worthy to live outside of a prison again. You are someone that we deem as a threat to society, a bad seed, and we're going to send you to prison for the rest of your life. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me, Antonio, because what that did right there is that knocked the wind out of my cells. That knocked all that that saw that 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 sense of like of control that I thought I had in life, that delusions of grandeur that I thought I had. And, and hey, this ego where Damon, you're a pretty neat guy. And I, and I thought I was so smart all the time. And, and I'm out there. Antonio, I've been a Division I quarterback up to that point. I worked in Congress in, in Washington. I worked for a guy running for president. I worked on Wall Street, man. I think I'm a pretty neat individual at that point. But on May 18, 2009, that jury knocked me out of the box, man, and they reduced me. They, they humbled me. I was right-sized that day. I became that little right-sized, humble person in this vast universe, and I had to figure out a new way because I discovered that something had to change that day and that something was me. That's powerful. Um, I'm sure folks listening to that right now are just like just breathing in all of that. The question I have following that up, and I know you talk about this in your book, is someone's sentenced to 65 years, Damon. You say this is one of the best moments. Maybe you didn't know it at that exact moment, but it ended up becoming that. Most people I know would lose hope immediately. Obviously, we now know that you're no longer in the penitentiary. You're out and you, you've changed uh, your ways, et cetera. But how did Damon West not lose hope in that moment? That's a good question. Because the easy answer, the immediate answer is it did. It hit me so hard. You know, it's like one of those days I tell people in life, you're going to get these days called fork in the road days. And a fork in the road day, you're going to get knocked down so damn hard that when you get back up and dust yourself off, the whole world looks different, man. You got hit so hard. Stuff is in different places. 
And that day was a fork in the road day. And it wasn't an immediate thing that, like you said, it's not something I thought about at the time. Oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. No, it, it took me years to get to the point where I could look back and say, well, that's the greatest thing that ever happened. The best thing that ever happened to me. Immediately after that happened, I was hopeless. I was, my parents pulled me aside. They let my parents have five minutes with me before I went in to, uh, uh, before the prison, the prison people were going to come get me right for the trial. Five minutes, right after the verdict. And my mom and dad walk in, and my parents have been married for 52 years, Antonio. I didn't, I didn't come from a broken home, man. I, my parents are good. My dad, man, my dad and my mom were in the civil rights. My dad was the first sports writer in this part of Texas to put black athletes on the front page of the sports page. The year was 1971, the first time he did it. Man, they were throwing rocks through his windows, slitting his tires, because he put a black guy on the front page of the sports page, right? So my parents walk in, and I've got a bulletproof glass between us, and my mom says, Baby, debts in life demand to be paid. My mom's a real tough woman. She's a nurse. And so she says, baby, debts in life demand to be paid. She said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did at that trial, Damon. So you have to go pay that debt to society. She said, but you owe your father and I debt too. She said, Damon, we gave you all the opportunity, love and support to be anything you wanted to be in this life. And this is how you repay us. She said, that's not going to work. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of a city and gave you a great moral compass which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay to us. When you go to that prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because you're scared because you're a minority in there. She said, it's not going to work. She said, you were never racist, erased, and you will not start today. She said, you will not get any tattoos while you're in that prison. And I mean, if we were on video right now, I'd show you, and Tony, man, I got no tattoos. Man, these guys, I did seven years and three months in a maximum security penitentiary before I made parole. And I, I tell you, Probably every day someone hit me up to put a tattoo on me and I tell them the same thing. Dude, I can't do it. My mom said no, because my mom told me at that conversation, she said, Damon, this is the debt you're going to pay to your father. And I. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And this is tough love. This is happening five minutes after a jury just took my life. So now immediately I've got this life sentence and I've got these rules that I've got to follow, these guidelines that I've got to narrowly follow. And I agreed to it, of course, but I go back to my pod in county jail and I'm asking all these guys, you want to know about losing hope? And hope was those the conversations, the losing hope was the conversations I was having with everybody in county jail that had been to prison before. Because I'm asking everybody, I'm inquisitive. Hey, man, how am I going to survive? Man, and every guy, Antonio, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're all telling me the same thing. Dude, you just got hit with a life sentence, man. You get, you're going to the worst part of the Texas prison system where, where everybody in the building you live on has life. And man, you don't come off that building for five years. They don't want you to escape. They lock you in a building for five, like Alcatraz. Man, you got to get into a gang. Well, you're 33 years old. You're gang recruiting age, man. Let the gang fight for you. But there was this one guy, man, and all this stuff. And, and, and Antonio, I can, I'm telling you, man, this, this run up to go into prison from county jail, I am hopeless, brother. But there's this one guy in Dallas County Jail, this older African-American man, and his name was Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson... Man, he had been to, he's what you would call a career criminal, man. He had been to prison four or five times. He, you know, he is, he's a career convict, man. But he was probably in his 60s. I don't know. I never got his age, but he was a real positive guy until he always walked around, always smiling, always lit up the room everywhere he went. Mr. Jackson comes up to me one morning. He says, Wes, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads, these dummies. Talk about you and I get into a gang. He said, do not listen to these fools, man. He said, you keep that promise you made to your mom and dad, to yourself, to God. He said, but let me tell you about what prison is going to be like. He, the first thing he told me, he said, prison is all about race. He said, race runs the entire institution. He said, it's the most disgusting environment you're ever going to see. And that's what he's telling me. 
He said, to survive how you want to survive, you're going to have to fight all the white gangs because they're coming after you first. And after that, the black gangs are going to come after you. you got to fight all of them. He said, but if you, win all, if, if you do that, you'll earn the right to walk alone. And he told me, he said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's a tremendous lesson in life, Antonio. But at that point, he could see that my, my head is spinning. I can't focus on what he's telling me because of the, the size and the depth and the breadth and the scope of what he tells me is so big. It's bigger than what I can imagine. He said, I, I, want, I want to simplify this for you, Damon. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put in that pot of boiling water will be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. And so he walked me through the steps. He said, if I put a carrot into that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And so Antonio, I told him, I said, the carrot turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into prison hard. He said, but the water, the prison, changes that carrot, turns him soft. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. He may have gotten raped and he may have gotten killed. He said, you can't be the carrot. He said, what about the egg? And so I'm picking it up. Now I'm like, you know what? A little more confidently. I'm like, the egg turns hard, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right, Wes. Like a hard-boiled egg, it turns hard. He said, the egg has a shell that protects him. So physically, he's going to be okay because of his shell. But inside, that soft liquid core that is his heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized. and You do not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell has swastikas tattooed all over it. And he said, what about that coffee bean? And I had no clue, Antonio. And Mr. Jackson kind of laughed at me. He said, you know, for a college boy, you ain't too smart. Because all that education I got is going to do nothing where I'm going. He said, West, if I put a coffee bean into that pot of boiling water that we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said that coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, he said, small like you, had the power within him to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot of boiling water. He said, everybody in life puts that energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you'll attract back. He's explaining the law of attraction to me. He said, so if you want to walk around prison with a meme mug on your face, and a scowl, you want to look hard, what you'll actually do is attract that same kind of hard inmate. He said, my life's in this building. It's a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor to attract that kind of attention. He said, but Wes, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face, and man, you let those guys know they're not getting to you. No matter what they do, they can't get to you. He said, you will change that prison from the inside out. He said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates will find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got on that prison bus in August of 2009 to be shipped from Dallas County Jail to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, he said, West, go out there and go be a coffee bean. And, you know, that gave me hope, Antonio. That gave me hope that that maybe there was a, a measure of control that I could have over this whole thing. Maybe I could be, you know, guide my own fate inside this place. But, man, when I got to prison, I found it was going to take a lot more than just uh, the hope and the coffee bean to turn things around. Yeah, I can't. First, that's powerful. And, and, and thank God for individuals like, hey, your mother, in those words she said to you that I'm sure were very hard to hear at the time. And those individuals like Mr. Jackson that just show up at the right times in our life. And if we're willing to hear them and what they have to say, they can change our life for the better. I mean, him saying you don't have to win all your fights, but you have to fight all your fights. I mean, a lot of us need to hear that message right there on a regular basis. And we're not behind uh, the walls of a prison confined. Something, Damon, that I don't hear, and I can't imagine how challenging those you know, seven years were, but one, something I, I don't hear from you, Damon, whether it's on social media, reading the book, et cetera, 
I don't hear victimhood. Those are words. I, mean, I don't hear you ever talking about being a victim. And you have some things in your story you can talk about. You can talk about as you as you document being sexually abused as a child. You, you talk about the addiction and how that showed up in your life. Um, you know, you've, you've been diagnosed with ADHD, all these different things that a lot of people in society would use to this has happened to me because of X, Y, and Z. Can you talk about how you didn't use that as an excuse and, and, and found another way? That's the program recovery kicking in, you know, because in a program recovery, we work through these things called the steps and people hear, you know, the 12 steps, they hear all, you know, but it's mystical to a lot of people that don't, that aren't addicts or aren't in the program recovery. But in the program recovery, when we work the steps, we get to the fourth step where we start making a searching and fearless moral inventory, right? We, we start documenting the things that, that we fear. We start documenting the things that we resent. We start documenting the stuff that holds us back in life. And then we start talking to another person, our sponsor about that. And one of the things we discover, it's an axiom that I live by. And it's in the big book, AA, which is, you know, I go to an AA group. I don't, I don't speak for AA. I'm always going to say that some AA people get up in arms if you don't, you know, just, if you don't verify that you don't speak for AA. So I don't speak for AA, but I go to an AA group. And one of the axioms that I live by is that whenever I am disturbed, Antonio, there's something wrong with me that I play a role in all my problems, whatever my problem is with somebody or some person, some place, some thing, some institution. When I am disturbed, if something's bothering me, I play a role in there somewhere too. And it's my job in my program recovery to find out the role that I play because I find out all the time that, you know, even when I'm mad at somebody and I get mad at people, I get, I get angry, but I have a role to play in there. I may have, I may have done something somewhere in that line of that chain of events that caused another person to even be in my life in the first place. You know, one of the things that, that I used to illustrate this is, is a personal inventory. You know, when you keep a personal inventory, you find out what, what it is that you're afraid of. Let's say my fear was coming out of prison, you know, and, and will I be treat, how will I be treated by society? There's three basic instincts that run all of human behavior. There's a need for social, you know, the need to be, be accepted in, in your community and society again. There's a need for sex. Everybody has a sex need. And, and when used the, the right way, it, it's a good it's a good instinct. But it's when we abuse these instincts, like an instinct for sex or the, the need to want to be accepted by society and, and society, then that's when it's abused. And the other one is the need for security, the need to be financially secure, the need to be secure in your own family, your relationships. So the three basic instincts that run all of human behavior, the need for social, the need for sex, the need for security. So you take a fear like coming out of prison. And my fear is that, will I be accepted back into society again? And so the first thing I need to do is find out what instinct that affects. Social? You bet, man. Is society going to let me back in and let me be a full member of society again after all the bad things I've done? Well, that's a, that's a fear that hits you on society instinct. So social instinct is hit. Sex instinct? You bet, man. Will I ever find someone that's ever going to accept me for all the stuff I've done? Will I have a family too? Will someone ever love me? You bet. So we've got social, we've got sex. And how about security? Does it affect security? You bet, man. Can I ever get a job as an ex-con that's going to pay me a livable wage and something I can live a normal, happy life with? So that thing right there, that fear affects all three of those basic instincts. The next column that I need to find out is what role do I play in this problem? Mm-hmm. Well, and that example I'm giving you right here, the role that I play is I went out and committed crimes. I made victims. I hurt people. You know, I did things that broke the social contract. 
And when you break the social contract, the social contract says that, you know, for everything that we have in society, you have laws, you have, you know, nice, normal living society. But if you go outside the social contract and you break those laws and you have to pay a price, you can no longer be part of the social contract. And so I broke that social contract over and over again, Antonio. And the last thing I am is a victim. But the one thing I can be is an example to others of what you can do when you accept the responsibility for what you've done and you look at your past as a lesson. You know, my past with all its warts and all, I found out my story could be a two part story. One, it could be a danger of drugs and the consequences of bad decisions. You don't think there's a college team in America that doesn't need to hear that story or a high school group or a church group. You know, people need to hear that. But what about corporate America? Well, that's the other part of the story. My other part of the story is my message of hope, hope and perseverance of what the human spirit is capable of when you get down to nothing and you build yourself up from the ground up. But now you're selecting the right stones to build your life with. You're building a foundation and a home for yourself. Let's say as an analogy, you're building a home out of the right materials now. And when you get up to finish that house, you come up, you're proud of the finished product. And there's no excuses that you can build on because that's a flimsy foundation. You know, that victimhood stuff. Look, there's a lot of people that are victims in this world, Antonio, but I'm not one of them. If anything, I've created victims. Tell me this. First, thank you for sharing that. And I like the framing of that as a two-part story. I think we all can look at our life in that way. The word hope you talked about right now, there's someone listening to this. And in some regard, they may have lost hope. And of course, you went through a journey uh, in prison for, for many years before you find yourself out. During those challenging days, Damon, when you did know if you would be paroled, if that parole board would say, yes, we, we think you can go back out and be an amazing member of society once again, how did you maintain that hope? Because you talked about, I'm sure, the challenging experiences you had to go through to avoid being in gains and, and gangs and, and, and the race wars and just the day in and day out challenges of prison life. There are people who are in prison, but they still have lost hope. What would you say to that man or woman that uh, they don't see another way? They don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. To answer this question, I'm going to give a little background. So the prison I did my time, the Mark Stiles unit in Beaumont, Texas. Antonio, I'll put this prison up against any prison in America as far as a tough place to do time. It's a very tough, very dangerous place to be. Prison by design is a punishment. And in this new life that I have, you know, I got out of prison four and a half years ago. But in this new life that I have, I get to go to prisons all over the country and, and speak to inmates inside of a facility. And I think that's really where God can use me the most because I have the most currency to spend with the incarcerated, right? I, I've got a shared misery with them. And then the other part of this is that today, to this day, I went back and got my master's in criminal justice. And to this day, I'm a, I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown. I teach a criminal justice class, get this Antonio, called Prisons in America. Now, what world does it happen in that a guy that was in prison in America four years ago is teaching college students that get a, you get a degree at the University of Houston downtown, you have to take Professor West's class about prisons in America. So the point I'm making is I know about prisons, man. And I can tell you without a doubt, the hardest prison in America is the one in your mind, right? The hardest place I've ever seen anybody do time is in their minds. I see more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison. More people, Antonio, are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. And the problem is when we become a prisoner in our mind, we lock ourselves. What we have done is we've abdicated control of one of those four. We only control four things. 
what we think, what we say, what we feel, and what we do. Now, if we allow something or someone to take control of the way we think or the way we feel, we let, we let the news tell us how we feel or our politician tell us how we feel or how we think, we've become a prisoner. And I see more people. So right now with the coronavirus stuff going on, we'll give you the time frame for where we're speaking right now is, is during the coronavirus crisis. People are locked down there at home and people are wondering, man, what is my purpose in life? You know, I can't find my way. Lots of people, a lot of people are losing jobs. You and I were talking before this. What we do for a living, man, we are making zero income at this point, right? But we're not lost, are we? No, we found our purpose. We found our way on day two or day three of this. because we said, you know what? I'm going to pivot. I'm going to turn. I'm going to call an audible at the line of scrimmage, and I'm going to change the play. But the people that can't do that, they're stuck. They're stuck because they've put their faith and their beliefs in the wrong thing. I read this book, and I read a lot of books in prison. One of the best books I ever read was a, uh, by a guy named Victor Frankl, and it was called Man's Search for Meaning. And in Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl talks about this thing called the existential vacuum. And the existential vacuum is a void, a giant hole where all of our meaning and purpose and life is, and it gets sucked out from under us. And the only way we can have our purpose in life sucked out from us is if we put our purpose and our, our beliefs in the wrong things. So I encourage people all the time that while you're down Find the opportunity that's inside this time right here. Find the opportunity to grow. But there's three things that I put my, my purpose in in life that there's no kind of calamity, no kind of disaster, world economic depression that can take any of these three, three things away from me. There's no prison sentence that can take these things three things away from me. Because I had these things three things in prison the entire time I was there. And I was the most free person there was. Because I put my beliefs, I put in front of me three things, man. My faith, as part of my program recovery, is in my faith, man. My faith in God. And, and then I put my relationships that I have, the relationships I've built. The most important thing in your life is the relationships you build with people along the way. Because human beings, as I said before, have an inherent need to want to belong and be loved. And so those relationships, get, or get those relationships that nothing can tear down. And the third thing is my ability to serve other people. There's nothing you can do that can take away my ability to serve other people. I've tested this out and a maximum security level five penitentiary, Antonio, if I could serve in there and be a happy, free soul, then I could serve anywhere. And so can you. Listen, I mean, I think what you're really talking about there, I think what a lot of people can take away from that is it sounds like you and I think those who are successful in this life, even in the midst of adversity, have standards. They have values that they follow. Of course, our emotions are going to ebb and flow depending upon the day. But when you have those consistent standards and values, we can hold steadfast to what's most important. I had to laugh not long ago. I saw a social media post from you and it sounded like, and this touches on the relationships aspect of things. There was a day when it sounded like Damon West didn't want to get that workout in, but your wife was like, nah, son, <laughs> you, you, yeah. you, you're going to get that workout in and getting those standards, those values, but having those people around you that are going to encourage you in those moments when we don't feel as strong as we would like. Damon, this, this is the last question I have for you. You have, okay. a, you, have, you have a remarkable story, obviously, one that can inspire and you're going to continue to do amazing things. Um, as you know, unfortunately, in the society we live in, we like to judge people. We like to judge people based on what's going to show up in a Google search, based on their past. And as you know, a lot of folks who've spent time in, the, in, in prison, society isn't always as forgiving uh, to them when, when they come out. Could you talk a little bit about your perspective on second chances, uh, on, on redemption? Maybe not specifically just for folks who've been in prison, but people have made mistakes. They've done wrong by others. And I feel like we don't, our heart doesn't always give those, those second chances to people. And I'm just curious about your perspective on that. 
That's a great question, Antonio. And and to answer the question, I'll first give you my view about it. So coming out of prison, like I said, I had a lot of concerns about, you know, would I fit in? What would I do? But here's the deal. Um, I wasn't going to accept. I wasn't going to. I'm not going to. And I'm not going to accept that I can't have as normal a life as I want to. But I also am cognizant of the fact that there's multiple sets of standards that people judge other people by. And when I say this, I mean this. For example, my, my class, when I go into my classroom the first day in my criminal justice class, I look at my classroom and I tell them, you know, forget what you've learned about what, what you think about the criminal justice system in America. There's no such thing as a criminal justice system because there's more than one criminal justice system in America. There's a white one. There's a black one. There's a brown one. There's a poor one. There's a rich one. And it just depends on where you are on the spectrum, that what, which one you fall into. And so I know that there's people listening to this out there. And, 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 and look, it's, it's something I, I've heard before. Hey, man, well, you're a white guy. You're articulate. You get out and, and people want to hear what you have to say. I talk to parolees and inmates all the time and I tell them, hey, look, man, I'm cognizant of that. I, I, I will tell you, I'll give it to you that that's probably played some role in what's going on in my life. There's no doubt that's played some role. But the true measure, the true value of a person's life isn't the size of the stage of the people you're speaking to. It's the, the, the effort, the ability to go out and share and impact a single life. I tell people all the time that, you know, not every, not one, there's not one person on the planet that can reach everybody. I mean, you look at even leaders of, of, a, of a religion, you know, you look at, you know, Allah, you know, Muhammad, you look at Muhammad, you know, not the whole world's going to believe in that. You look at Jesus, not the whole world's going to believe in that. So no one person is an effective communicator for everybody, but everybody can reach one person. And I give them the example of Mr. Rogers, man. Mr. Rogers, before he was a Mr. Rogers in, in Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the stuff we watched when we were kids growing up, man. Before Mr. Rogers was Mr. Rogers, he was a Presbyterian minister. And, you know, he was in seminary, I think it was like 1963. He was at a, a church service one Sunday. They had a substitute preacher that day, Antonio. And he sent him his substitute preacher's sermon. And at the end of the sermon, he thought to himself, that was the worst sermon. I've ever, he said it was trash. It was garbage, man. It was, it, was, it was awful. He said it went against every rule of giving a sermon. He said, and he was about to turn to the lady next to him and tell her how awful that guy was. And then he stopped and he bit his tongue because the lady next to him was in tears, Antonio. And she turned to him in tears and she told him that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. It was the absolute right thing I need to hear at the absolute right time in my life. I will never forget where I was this day when I heard this beautiful sermon. And it made him realize that, that anybody can be a messenger of faith, of hope, of love, of peace, of serenity. Anybody can do that. Anybody can reach somebody, right? And it also made him realize this, that he came that day in judgment, right? Because he was judging that, that sermon. He came in judgment, but that woman, she came in need. So many people are coming in need, Antonio, and not just with the coronavirus thing that's going on right now, but in life in general, people are in need. People are in need of inspiration, of hope. You know, you, we've talked about hope. You've hit that word several times in this conversation. It's not lost on me because hope is such an important thing. And if you put your hope in the wrong thing and you get let down over and over again and you lose hope, then you will be a lost person. But if we find the way to put our hope in the right things, the right people and things that can't be taken away from us, then we'll have that peace and that serenity. And that means when something happens in life, we lose our jobs like we've done right now, that we're not going to be lost and stranded. Right? 
You don't lose hope, Antonio. You don't strike me as a guy. I, re- I look at all your posts, man. It's all positivity out there. And you're vulnerable enough. What I respect, too, is you're vulnerable enough to talk about when you're having a bad day. I don't think enough people do that. I don't think enough people say, hey, you know what? Today was a struggle. Because that's the reality of life. It's not all roses and rainbows out there. It's going to be hard. And some days are better than others. But to have a healthy perspective on what a bad day truly looks like is important for us to get through life. And right now, people are living through a tough time. And Antonio, I think it's honestly going to get a little bit harder before it gets better. But that's all the more reason to sink yourself into something positive, man. Work out every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically. Get in shape in those three areas. Feed yourself the right stuff. You are what you eat. That's not just about food. That's about what kind of books you read, what kind of websites do you go to, what kind of podcasts are you listening to? You know, do you have the news on in the background all day? If you do, turn that stuff off, man. Get the facts and turn it off. I'm sorry, man. My rant's over. But what I'm saying is, though, Antonio, is that is that people, you know, people are going to judge because that's what a, a lot of people do. But I went through a period in my time in prison where I was very judgmental of a particular class of inmate, and it was the, the child molester. And I'm on the life sentence building, so I'm locked up with all the worst child molesters you can think of. Heinous crimes, Antonio. And I couldn't stand these people. You read my book, The Change Agent. I talk about them in the very beginning because I couldn't stand them. But one day, my eyes were finally open. And when I got into program recovery, and I realized, who am I to be judging anybody? You know, I'm a drunk. I'm a drug addict. I'm a thief. I'm a criminal. I'm an ex-con. You know, I'm a, I'm a lot of bad things to a lot of people, too. And I don't want to be judged. So who am I to judge someone else? And life is much easier when we're not spending time judging other people. And here's the thing about that, Antonio. If you're wasting your time judging other people, then you're not working on yourself. Because if I'm to be truly honest, I don't have time to judge someone else because I've got so much of myself to work on every single day. Man, I've got so many flaws that I've got to work on. I don't have time to judge you. I love that. If you're wasting time judging other people, you're not working on yourself. And what a beautiful reminder, man, to work on ourselves spiritually, mentally, physically every single day. I'm with you how critical that is, especially in a time like now that we have to, as I remind people all the time, we have to protect our peace. And we are in control of that on a daily basis. Damon, I can't thank you so much enough, rather, for a, a powerful conversation or for you being willing to share all that you did. I know folks who listen to this are going to get so much out of it. Uh, for folks that want to learn more about you, follow your, your travels and what you're up to, where would you like to send them to? Man, you can go to you know Twitter and Instagram. It's the same handle, at DamonWest7, D-A-M-O-N-W-E-S-T-7, or DamonWest.org. D-A-M-O-N-W-E-S-T dot O-R-G. Uh, got a lot of YouTube videos, stuff out there. But you can go to web, my website. Hit me up. If you want me to come out and speak to your, your team, your group, your organization, I do it all. I mean, I do pro sports teams. I do college teams. I do high school. I do corporations all the way up to Walmart. So, I mean, whatever you got, I can come out there. Everybody can use the coffee bean message. Every single person on the planet can use the coffee bean message because we are in that pot of boiling water right now, and you've got three choices, man. You're going to let it beat you down, turn it soft, weak, and sad, or make it turn you hard, mean, and mad. Or are you going to be like that coffee bean that changes that pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee, brother? Yeah, that coffee bean message is the one for the ages. It's going to be around for the ages. It's powerful. So thank you and John Gordon for writing that book. And hey, if y'all want to have some fun, go check out Damon on YouTube. A former college quarterback who can still throw the rock. There's some videos of him catching, <laughs> catching some college uh, wide receivers downfield, and, and they're not playing it safe. They're going for it. Uh, again, David, yeah. thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, brother. 
Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.